Of all cities, Memphis feels the weight, the import, the meaning of Martin Luther King Day. Even today, Memphis carries the legacy of the strike and being the place where Martin Luther King Jr.'s earthly life ended on the balcony of the Lorraine Hotel. And before then and now, Idlewild has been God's church in this city, full of servants called to serve a risen Christ. We have older congregants who remember that dying day in April of 1968 and the power of the fear which made everything seem exceedingly fragile. We have teenagers in our congregation who have interviewed the likes of the Reverend Billy Kyles, who was there with Martin Luther King, and student term papers about facing history. Our teenagers have cataloged Kyle's story of picking out Martin's tie out of a suitcase in advance of dinner, and then of his grief of seeing that same tie severed by a bullet. We have congregants who have labored for the health of Memphis, working with those who have been made poor and imprisoned, supporting those who live on the margins, the immigrants and the at-risk children and women. Our congregants have served as elected leaders, teachers, tutors, mentors, advocates, and champions. And our congregants have purchased billboards to promote the health of our city. And they have traveled to overgrown hidden cemeteries to provide just mercy for the forgotten. Idlewild's membership has long borne witness to following Christ, called to serve out our beliefs in a risen Christ with our voices and with our actions. In today's text, John the Baptist, this dramatic prophet, stands with two others. Jesus walks by them. And like a deep swell under the sea, something changes. And John cries out, here is the Lamb of God. John testifies to what he has seen. Here, here is the Lamb of God. The two who stand with John couldn't help but notice John's reaction. Sometimes I've wondered as I read through this story if they were just tired of all the noise that John had been making and they just wanted to get away from him. Or maybe they're really curious about Jesus. Whatever their motivation, escape, or curiosity calling, they follow Jesus down the road. They watch Jesus, and it's like Jesus was a mother who has eyes in the back of her head, a mother who sees all the things, the finger and the cake icing, the skimping on the math homework, the vegetables that are passed under the table to the dog. Jesus sees these two who follow, and he turns to address them stopping them in their tracks. He asked, what are you looking for? And the Greek there is better translated, what are you seeking? That's a life question, isn't it? 
What are you seeking? These two, they don't have an answer, only a question. Teacher, they ask, where do you stay? Like all of us, awkward in many places, and particularly when we're overwhelmed, they ask a rather perfunctory question. Where do you stay? These two ask Jesus about where he will set down his roots. And instead of naming a place, Jesus issues an invitation. Come and see. Martin Luther King Jr. was not only a profound civil rights leader, but he was a young pastor with a strong grasp of how scripture could lead to action and give confidence to speak truth to power. To a congregation in 1954 in Detroit, he said like Jesus, come and see. To the church, he said, we must remember that it is possible to affirm the existence of God with our lips and deny his existence with our lives. The world, even the church, is filled up with people who pay lip service to God and not life service. In this prophetic sermon, Rediscovering Lost Values, there was a call to that Detroit congregation to come and see what was before them in a particular time. Last weekend, we hosted a leadership retreat for the three classes of elders and deacons on Saturday. And as part of that retreat, two incoming leaders gave their faith statements. Faith journey statements are how our session examines new elders and deacons coming into the church. And faith journey statements are an individual's accounting of how they have come to follow Christ. One elder shared about traveling many miles to be baptized by his grandfather and then throughout his life, weekly correspondence about God with his grandparent. And another deacon spoke to the value of being shaped for a life of faith by a parent who, through great vulnerability, was made strong, whose faith sustained her in weakness. And at the close of the retreat Saturday, we gathered in the chapel for worship. And because it's hard to preach two sermons in one weekend, I invited the new elders and deacons to preach as part of our worship by speaking to how they had seen Christ in the retreat. One deacon shared, I needed to hear the faith statements that were shared today. And another remembered a wise member's words of wisdom. She said, I was in this meeting one time and I kind of was talking about how sometimes it is so hard to come to church, to come to worship. I could barter with myself. I really don't get anything out of it, so why am I going? She vocalized this. I don't really get anything out of worship sometimes, so why do I go? And a wise member of the congregation replied, Worship is really not about what you get out of it. Maybe God has invited you to be in church that day so someone else might come and see you and have their shape faith by you. 
God might need you to shape another person in what they see and hear from you. Wednesday evening at our session meeting, Amy Sharp, who's given me permission to share her story, gave her third year faith statement. So if you are an elder at Idlewild in your third year, you testify to how your faith has been grown in your service as an elder. Amy opened our meeting telling the story about trying to decide about answering God's call to serve as an elder. Amy's mother-in-law is Mary Sharp, and her mother-in-law had told her, when God's calling, you answer. Now, valuing her mother-in-law's advice, Amy was still on the fence. She worshiped regularly at the 830 worship service, and she taught Sunday school to fourth and fifth graders. In her mind, she rationalized, that's enough, isn't it? Isn't that enough? And then Christ asked Amy through another, what are you seeking? And Christ invited Amy to come and see. When our Jones building was under construction, everything happened in the 1928 building. The halls were full. Children and adults swarmed the 1928 hallways. The choir was rehearsing, and in the hustle and bustle there, Amy bumped into Emily Mulqueen and her sons, Oscar and Dylan. Now, Amy and Emily knew one another from work, not from church. And Emily looked at Amy, and she said with great earnestness, Oh, I am so glad you are visiting my church. And Amy was taken aback. She'd been a member for 15 years and Emily less than five. And Emily's welcome was an invitation to confront the values from which she was living. She'd been going through the motions. And she knew in that moment Christ called to come and see. And Amy said, yes, I'll serve. She said a real yes to hard, invested work with the self-sacrificing love of God, the forgiving and forever kind mercy of our Lord Jesus, and the most unpredictable but always true advocacy of the Holy Spirit. At the session meeting, I've been digging around in, let me reverse for just a minute. I've been digging around in the Idlewild archives. And at the session meeting, I brought the Idlewild evangelism brochure for the stewardship season of 1954. This was the same year that Martin Luther King was preaching in Detroit. On the cover, a picture of the wooden doors that have been removed and are now being stored until they find a new place. And then you open this gate fold and you see you are a part, do your part. And each fold on this evangelism stewardship brochure has a message about a part of Idlewild. Wallace Whitmer tells about the men of Idlewild. Will Johnson discusses the Sunday school. V.C. Austin reported for the diaconate. 
and W.C. Manley Jr. reported for the session. And in the middle, with the largest part of text, Swamp Jackson spoke about the changes going on at Idlewild. Two changes specifically. The first, and I think we can hear an hallelujah, amen, the first change was a capital change for the church. They put air conditioning in the sanctuary. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. And the second was about how they were going to manage their stewardship campaign in 1954. And I am just going to read to you the words from the brochure. This year, no pledges will be made in the church service or by mail. A fellow member of Idlewild Presbyterian Church will call on each, each church family on Sunday, March 22nd, between 1 and 4 p.m. He will present the budget to your family and he will receive your pledge personally. And in this way, any questions that you have can be answered and full explanation of our needs as a church can be made to you. We ask that you remain at home that Sunday afternoon <laughs> to greet the Idlewild worker and then come to church at four o'clock to attend the victory reception. In 1954 at Idlewild, the slogan was, you are a part, do your part. For those two at first standing with John, it was seeing and hearing, what are you seeking? Come and see. And their telling, I believe, brings us to today. Come and see. What are you seeking? We are a part. Let's do our part. And if we're like them, we might find ourselves together at 4 o'clock. Go figure. To God be all glory, now and forever. Amen.